0: My guest today is an associate professor of psychology at Barnard College, whose research on motivation, perception, and cognition has been funded by the National Science Foundation and the NIH, which is the National Institute of Health, if you're not sure. She has written for numerous psychology journals and writes a column for the popular Psychology Today on topics that include self awareness, meditation, and the role of self awareness in leadership. Her most recent research has focused on mirrors and reflections. And from that, she has developed a mirror-based meditation program to teach people how to manage their attention and emotions. That research can be found in her recently released book, mirror meditation, the power of neuroscience and self-reflection to overcome self-criticism, gain confidence, and see yourself with compassion, which is what she is here to talk about today. Welcome to the podcast, Tara Well. Thank you. Thank you so much for the invitation, Joanne. Yeah, so needless to say, today's focus will be on the mindfulness aspect of the podcast. Although not surprisingly to me, there is a definite connection in your work to social media and technology, which is definitely something I'd like to focus on. But I always like to start with my favorite question, which is, where are you from?
1: Where am I from? Hmm, that could be answered a lot of different ways. Well, I grew up in Cleveland, actually, and uh, I... uh, moved to New York about 25 years ago to take a wonderful opportunity to be a professor at Barnard College, which was, I remember even going there for my job interview 25 years ago, thinking, wow, I would have loved to go to a school like this. (laughs) So I kind of get to be in the school for all these years, which has been a real treat for me.
0: Yeah, it is kind of funny, though. I think in some place in the back of my head, I always wanted to go to NYU and I never did, but now I get to teach there. So its I, I definitely can relate to that. So my mother's side of the family is, I'll always like to say, we're genetically uh, predisposed to looking at ourselves in in front of a passing mirror. In fact, we go so far as to check ourselves out in a reflection in a store window. But I'm guessing that's not exactly what mirror meditation means. So can you talk about how you came up with this idea and and what it is?
1: Sure, sure. And I have to say, you know, you're definitely not alone and your family's not alone with the fascination with looking at oneself in the mirror. In fact, that was sort of how I discovered mirrors when I was a small child. We used to have a chrome toaster on the table in which you could see a reflection in. And I would spend hours looking in the chrome toaster, uh, you know, imitating people, uh, you know, making faces and kind of just uh, exploring, kind of entertaining myself. As an only child, this was important to find different uh, tasks and things to do to amuse myself. And the, the, the toaster or the mirror of the toaster was one of my favorite toys to play with. But as I grew older, like most of us, uh, we start getting messages about, from society about how we look and start to use the mirror as a way to scrutinize our appearance, finding flaws and, and comparing ourselves with the beautiful, perfect images that we see in the media.
0: Right, the toast so, the toaster is not going to quite work it at that point. And I used to do that too, by the way. I don't think they make those chrome toasters anymore. <laughs> oh, oh.
1: That's great, and you can even see you can see this in small children. You can even see this in an- animals too. There's all kinds of. Uh, of um, little videos of of, um, puppies and and different uh, animals looking at themselves in the mirror. So I think we have like sort of an innate fascination with wanting to look at ourselves in the mirror. And then we kind of get socialized out of it and start to use it again for criticism and start to use the mirror to take the perspective of other people, of critical observers oftentimes that we've learned uh, uh, over time that people have things to say about our appearance that are always aren't that friendly or good and we can internalize them. And then when we look in the mirror, they pop up uh, on, uh, you know, kind of the devil on your shoulder. (laughs) Well, what about that thing? Or you could lose a few pounds or you're getting a few more wrinkles or something like that. So, you know, I kind of had an ambivalent relationship with the mirror, like many, many people. And then one day I, I caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror when I was just kind of puttering around my apartment and I, I looked so sad and kind of depressed with kind of a scowl on my face. And I didn't, I didn't realize I felt that way. I thought I was fine. You know, I thought I felt fine. And so I had also been, you know, having a regular meditation practice and a regular yoga practice for many, many years. Um, and I started to incorporate the mirror with the meditation at the end of my uh, yoga practice, at uh, just a way to check in with myself to see how I was feeling. And it also helped to focus my attention because I find when I close my eyes, I tend to kind of space out and drift drift a lot more. So having a focal point, which is something called a drishti to, to focus on like a, a candle or some object or something worked better for me. So I said, hey, why don't I try looking at myself in the mirror while I'm meditating and still see what happens and I really discovered a lot about myself in terms of (laughs) how my attention would kind of drift and I knew that I I got I got really good at using the mirror to track my attention to see when when I was having trouble focusing my attention and also working with my emotions Uh, some of the my emotions that I was feeling I didn't want to show other people and because I got in the habit of not showing it to other people, I didn't even know how I was feeling because I wasn't getting reflection from other people. Excuse me. I wasn't getting reflection from other people. And then I wasn't really seeing myself. So it really opened up a whole new way of, of self-reflecting, of seeing oneself, of of being aware of oneself. And it was really helpful to me. So I wanted to help other people or, or to see if it would be useful to other
0: people. So you really dug into the, to, to the research from a scientific basis to see what the science was behind this.
1: Right. I wanted to see what the science was behind it. And I also wanted to just work with individual people and see what they what their experience was uh, to see if it was similar or, you know, just having them track their experience and and report to me what they were discovering.
0: Now, can this work for anyone or do you have to have a certain thing going on to say, I want to do this?
1: It can work with anyone who wants to sit in front of the mirror and be open to having the experience. Um I generally ad- advise if you're under psychiatric care, you, you've been diagnosed with depression, anxiety, some kind of something that you um talk with your mental health care professional first because it can kind of exaggerate those Uh, Unpleasant states, and you want to make sure that you have the skills to be able to manage it. Mm -hmm. Um, You want to do it in small doses. It's a different experience for everyone because they're basically just the mirror is just reflecting who you are, and then you're and then you're seeing it. So it's hard to really say here's what's going to happen when you do it. All it is is you're going to see yourself, and then you're going to have an
0: experience that's going to be completely unique to you. Okay, so you talk about three key intentions of this. Uh, the mindfulness meditation that was it was built on attention to the present moment. Do I have this mm-hmm. right? Open awareness and kind intention. Can you talk about that? Kind intention sure. really hit me. I don't think we're any yeah. of us are kind to anybody these days, much less to ourselves. <laughs> I
1: know it's been it's been a, a challenge definitely so yes these are the the three principles of mindfulness meditation that have been put forth by all the great te- mindfulness teachers such as Jon Kabat-Zinn and others um, the idea is keeping your attention in the present moment and then also being open open to discovering what might be there when you look at yourself um, uh, and just being able to um, have have an open awareness of you know, being being open to the possibility of seeing something in yourself that you've never seen before and being prepared to do that and then having a kind intention about it, right? Looking at yourself with a kind intention. So the idea is not doing this what can I find out that's wrong with me that I have to fix or, or how can I, you know, do this or, 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 you know, like forcing yourself to say positive affirmations, you know, to tell yourself you're beautiful or, and, you know, whatever, whatever you think you should be that you're not, and you're going to like drill it in your head by saying these affirmations, that would not be a kind of intention. <laughs>
0: No, no, and I I want to get into that flaws thing because I think that is something certainly that um, I don't know whether that was learned or innate with me. I can find a million flaws in front of a mirror. But, I, but the kind of what's hitting me right now is that that really falls in with this the effect that social media is having on us. And you talk about that a lot in the book about this about selfies. in fact, I, I was really surprised. I shouldn't be surprised at the science behind it, but I love when I could, I could have guessed something and then the science behind it. In fact, you wrote that uh, taking more than three selfies a day is considered an actual disorder by the American Psychiatrist Association, which means that we've got a lot of people with major things going on out there. But you know, how, how does it help to break this habit? And can you talk more about the, the whole connection between the two? Because I think there's, I think it's fascinating what you wrote about there.
1: Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, I think that we all have an innate sense of wanting to be wanting to be seen, wanting to be looked at. In fact, we really can't survive as infants unless we can pull attention to us, unless we can find someone who's going to pay attention to us enough to to understand what our needs are and meet them because we're not independent for many, many years of, of our development. So it's really innate for us to want to have people to look at us and to look at us with kind regard. So um, as we spend more time alone and on our devices, we miss out on those opportunities. Um, And there is also a lot of research showing um, that face-to-face contact is really key to helping children and even adults to regulate their emotions because you know, there's all kinds of processes that go on. One is, is, Social mimicry—the idea that we kind of take on the facial expressions and the body postures of the person we're talking with—so that when we're with when we're with people and they're they're telling an emotional story or or we're talking about something, we sort of synchronize with them, and in a, in that way, we kind of downward regulate our own emotions. You can even notice that people's breathing breathing becomes in sync. The their vocal intonations as they as they speak will become more in synchrony as the conversation conversation goes on particularly if the conversation is one that people are enjoying that's pleasurable that they feel comfortable and safe in and so when we're alone and on our devices and we're just looking at social media posts um we're we're seeing these images and we're being aware of our needs and some cases our flaws and and problems and imperfections but we're not getting that regulation piece we're not getting that that real, real time face-to-face contact with another person that is kind of almost implicitly telling us we're okay. You know, we can feel that that person is present with us. And and if they're, we can like calm another person down by being calm ourselves. But it can be harder to do if we get in kind of that negative feedback loop or, no, or just an internal feedback loop of just looking at these beautiful images or thinking like, oh my gosh, all these people have accomplished so much. Because you think about it and you have a thousand friends on social media and you're working hard to, to you know develop your, your online platform or your work or whatever. And so, but you're looking at the social media fees of a thousand people of all they've all they've accomplished, okay? And you're thinking, I'm working on my one book or my one project is taking so long. You know, I just read about 20 people who have accomplished this great thing that I want to accomplish. I'm falling behind, but you're comparing your own accomplishments with what a thousand people are doing, you know? And and that's just one example, you know, of of how we we can distort uh, our progress or how we look to social media for social comparison. And it's really a distortion of, of what's actually happening.
0: Well, no, there's a lot of data, and I'm sure you've seen this on what it's doing to, especially to young women in, in the yes. comparison part. But now this this face-to-face, um, which is funny because I had that in my notes to ask you about, this face-to-face connection, does that work the same on Zoom? Or does it, Are you when you say, when I say face-to-face, I think you're sitting in the room with me, even yes. though this, this'll work, and God knows it helped us get through the pandemic. But yes. is it, you know, from a neuroscience standpoint, does it do the same thing? Is it giving us the same that's that that same feedback that we need affirmation from an affirmation standpoint?
1: Well, I think the the the, the data is still out on that. I'm not sure specifically if it's the same. I do know about the differences uh, in in the sense that. Um, when we're on zoom, we're only seeing sort of like the top half of, of one's body. It also has a a slight delay. And some research shows that in that slight delay, we're, we're more likely to think that people don't like us or they didn't like what we said. And so any kind of gap in, in perception that doesn't feel real, we, we immediately attribute something negative to it. Um, the other thing is, oftentimes our nonverbals are out of context because we don't see a person's whole body. So that's why people specifically say that you should, you know, show your hands and show your open palms if you can on a Zoom camera because it helps people to connect with you and it, it builds you know, trust,
0: trustability, uh, when they can see your, the palms of your hands. Unless of course you have, you have a fake background like I do. And if I start uh-huh. waving my hands, they may start looking like something out of a science fiction movie. So. Oh
1: my gosh. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't realize you had a fake background until you did that. That's
0: yeah. It looks I pretty didn't good. That. I know until I start moving until I start using my hands and then you can see, see, there's a whole <laughs> weird thing that goes on. So yeah, um, I guess you shouldn't yeah. use that tactic if you're, if you have a using fake backgrounds like I am.
1: Yeah, and and the other thing that I wanted to mention is that that's because oftentimes too, when you're when you're on a call and there's a big grid of people, you you see their faces pretty close up, and you you generally don't aren't that close to people's faces unless you're in an intimate relationship with them, <laughs> or you're on a really crowded elevator, and in that case you, you're gonna you're gonna avert your gaze, right? So so the Zoom meeting is a is a is a different animal in the sense that. It's interesting because everybody has the same amount of real estate. Okay. Everybody has their little square and they can do whatever they want within their little square, but it's hard for them to look away because if, if you're, if you're at a general meeting, what oftentimes happens, you're oftentimes at a rectangular table, the lead, the leader of the presenter is at the front of the room. And usually the other people who are uh, the, the more uh, prominent people uh, are at the other end of the table. And then the, the other people sit on the side. So. Most all meetings that you go to, you're not face-to-face with each person in the meeting. You see the side of people's faces, and you're face-to-face with the presenter or the leader of the meeting. So that's the other thing. There's so much emotional and nonverbal information and facial information to encode when you're encode or decode. I forget. forget, But to process when you're um, on a Zoom call.
0: Now, doesn't this also contribute to mirror anxiety? I mean, I, I know it does for me. I've given up looking at myself on this. As I teach, it's just like, forget about it. Just you're over here someplace because I'm much more concerned about delivering a good a good class session than I want to be on how I look. And I look fine in the bathroom and then I come here, I blame it on lighting, but maybe there's some other thing going on there. I just been the lighting in my bathroom is much better than in front of my computer.
1: Yes, indeed. And, you know, um, one of the things about looking at oneself, too, is it takes it takes a certain amount of attention to be focused on yourself. Right. So and this is, in fact, the roots of, of social anxiety. It's it's when you when you focus on yourself. So much so that it impedes your ability to make contact with other people or you don't want to go places because of it. So the Zoom anxiety and the mirror anxiety is kind of like that getting on the Zoom call and seeing yourself and then knowing how you how you look to other people and then judging that and wanting to kind of withdraw from that. And it's very, very common. And it's been shown that it's more common for women uh, than men. Um, And, you know, the quick fix is, of course, to hide yourself and just, you know, kind of ignore yourself but um i encourage um everyone to be able to and be willing to take a good look at themselves and a kinder look at themselves because it really isn't what you look like it's your thoughts about about it and 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 your, and your thoughts about yourself not you specifically but everybody who uses the mirror and- no
0: could you talk more about that because i remember reading that thinking wow like it it took me back to um my mother's passed in the last couple of years, but during that last couple of years, it was very stressful because she was, people who listen know this whole story. I mean, she was determined to live by herself till the end and she was almost 98. So don't even get me started on that. But I can remember sometimes going into the bathroom, especially at her house, where I would just look at myself and think, oh my God, I could see the stress in my face. I'm thinking you looked okay when you left the house and then suddenly that stress was really evident, but could you talk more about that? And and, and also of course, obviously how this meditation helps in that sense.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, first I'm really sorry about your mom. I've, I, you know, I've been through that experience and I know it's really hard and, you know, I think what you, what you just shared is a, is a perfect example of using the mirror to check in with yourself, you know, and, and seeing, Seeing when you are stressed and instead of criticizing yourself, just having compassion, saying, wow, you know, I looked good this morning, but now I'm really stressed <laughs> and I'm going to take a moment and just really, you know, just feel my heart and feel, feel like, wow, I'm doing the best I can. And <laughs> this is it, you know, you know, it's not about you know, oftentimes people think about the mirror as being like, oh, I'm going to say affirmations. I'm going to feel good. I'm going to lose weight. And I'm going to look in the mirror and I'm going to put on makeup and I'm going to look in the mirror. But it's more about just this- I'm going to look in the mirror and say, you know, I appreciate myself. I'm going through a lot. This is really who I am. I'm really, you know, I'm with myself and I'm on my own team. Not perfect. I don't look perfect. I don't do things perfect. I don't say things perfect, but I'm on my own team and I can bear to look at myself in all my imperfection. That's really the goal. Not, not to, you know, make it all perfect.
0: Wow. Okay. There I, it was something else I was going to ask you, it completely slipped my mind that went off on that. But you, I got so caught up in what you were. Oh, the self talk. That was it. You, I was laughing about that too, because I have whole conversations with myself. And sometimes I'm like, I hope I've actually done it on the street and um, like forgetting where I was. But yeah, apparently, this is not a bad thing that it can actually be very helpful, which I was delightful. I would delightful to know. Yeah. But how do you use that? In, it, do you use that in the mirror meditation as you're talking to yourself in front of the mirror?
1: Yeah, we all talk to ourselves. And so the mirror helps to externalize that uh, voice so you can get a better look at it. Um, I, I also um, recommend video journaling. There are some great video journaling exercises in the book in which you just kind of say whatever you want to say free form. Um, it's it's sort of like the morning pages from The Artist's Way, only you just dump whatever's in your brain into the into the video. And then you can watch it later and if I've been doing this for many years, and what I found is, I really noticed a lot of my patterns of thinking, my negative thought patterns, uh, and and they've helped me really analyze that because oftentimes, when you have a running uh dialogue in your in your mind or or a monologue it could be a dialogue maybe you're talking to two different voices in your head or it's a mono, or it's a monologue where it's just somebody some voice criticizing you and everything you're doing and whatever or what you look like or whatever um it can be hard to to really get to it like it feels elusive like it kind of comes and comes after you and then it retreats and it comes after you and then it retreats but when you're able to voice it in a video or see yourself criticizing yourself in the mirror, it creates an instant shift for you. So you can't oh you can't go back to to just ignoring that voice anymore. You you really see it front and center and then you can see what it's doing to you and that can actually motivate change. Because you know, these critical voices they they come up they came about at at one point in our history because they helped us to um survive and to maintain our social connections so so that we could be part of groups and things and so we didn't make mistakes that would end up being harmful to us. But most of the voices are outdated in the sense that they want us to be perfect. And they want us to never do anything wrong and if we do we're going to be killed or we're going to die i mean that that's oftentimes people really feel a threat to their survival uh um when they make like a social mistake because we want to be included in social groups and we're very hardwired to, to want to do that so when we feel like we might there might be something about us or something that we did or something that we said that could lead people to reject us it really um uh uh can take up a lot of the space in our in our internal world as we try to figure out what to do. And we can get caught in a loop, kind of like a self-punishing loop. And you can see that loop in the mirror and then that will help you to move someplace else, to do something different.
0: And then the journaling part, the, the video journaling part is like, wow, I don't know if I, I, I am a big believer in warning pages and as a writer, it's worked for me for years. But I, yeah. I had this little... Um, little thing that went off in my head. And I don't know if you've ever seen Grace and Frankie, but um, I watched the entire series and, and Frankie actually has used that. It was, they made it kind of like a, obviously a comical situation, but I was like, I wonder if she's doing that in real life, uh, Lily Tomlin, if that's a part of how she's been doing things all along, because it was really, they were encouraging that. So I, and it was the first time I really thought about it. Cause I don't, I don't think of video journaling to me. It's, for me personally, too much time. It's enough to get me to sit down and write it, but I could see where that could be really positive and work for a lot of people.
1: Yes, it, it, it does. And, and it works for people in different ways. One of the things about both the mere meditation and the video journaling is it's unique to everyone. So it's just a method. And then each person has their own individual kind of self-discoveries about where they're at and, 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 you know, just just seeing whatever it is they're dealing with from a different perspective.
0: So is this like regular meditation? Can you do it for five or 10 minutes or can you do it for a half an hour? Does it matter? Is there any like quick little tips? I don't know who's listening now, so I don't like to throw them into a meditation because they could be... um that's not what they're expecting here and they could be driving a car. so but could you give yeah. a, give us like a little a quick easy way but without going through the whole book right now because i know you have some more in-depth versions of this. sure yeah you definitely don't want to do mirror meditation when you're driving that's for sure.
1: but <laughs> but yeah i mean generally what i t- how i tell people to start is just you know get a freestanding mirror that you can sit in front of you, you don't have to clutch it at, at it hold it in your hand and you also don't have to pitch forward to see yourself and so you can sit in your normal meditation posture or just any any posture sitting in front of a mirror and then just just sit with yourself for sort of 5 or 10 minutes nothing to say nothing to do just have a visit with yourself i mean even get a cup of tea and just sit and look at yourself see what comes up uh, and and it, and it can really be transformative to sit with yourself for 10 minutes. This is actually more about listening to yourself than it is about doing or saying. So just sit and listen and what comes up for you and what's really on your mind when you try and let go of everything. Um, I recommend that people do it uh, for a set period of time to set a timer, because oftentimes people will um, worry that there's you know, spending too much time or or they're going to get too caught up in it. And it also gives, um, I work with a lot of people who currently feel very overwhelmed by things, no surprise, many people do, but giving yourself 10 minutes to just sit in the mirror and freak out, like you want to just sit there and cry about everything that's wrong or whatever. And, you know, these are very busy people with very responsible people with very successful lives that don't give themselves the time to really, just let like go and relax and break down and just it's okay you know and just be with yourself and freak out for 10 minutes in the mirror when the, when the timer goes off you know get your act together and go do whatever it is you want to do and oftentimes people will really look forward to that 10 minutes that 10 minutes of personal privacy and it's almost like it's developing intimacy with yourself that's oftentimes what um meditation teachers will say uh, particularly um the teaching of John kabat and that your meditation practice is developing an intimacy with yourself. So, you know, the nuances of your feelings and, and then you take that intimacy that you've developed with yourself. And then you have that to share with other people.
0: And you had a really good example of an influencer, um, which I love this, this is again, it's very much related to the stuff that I do all the time who, um, Essentially, had two different not uncommon, I think, for influencers, had one presentation of herself online, and that wasn't who she was in person. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, without giving away the whole everything you write in the book about it, um, how you were able to help her with that by using this mirror meditation?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things about uh, people who developed a, a social image online is they're very aware of what they look like and they're very aware of the power of what they look like and the power of, of visual information uh, to sell products and have influence. But that can oftentimes be detached from who they really are in a way that they might not be clear about. So it's one thing to develop an image and your intent in that's part of your business model is your image and who you are and what you say and what you do online. But it's another thing to cultivate an image and not separate that from who you really are so that when people meet you in person, you feel inferior to the image you've created online. So then that creates social anxiety because you don't want to meet people in person because you don't look as good as your retouched photos and you're not, you know, ecstatically having fun every second of your life. And wow, it's so great. You know, you're the life of the party. You know, that can be, um, you know, exhausting and actually and create, um, almost like an estrangement from yourself. Um, I use the term self objectification in the book to, to, um, as the psychological, um, term that describes how we take like a third person perspective and we look at ourselves as an object. How am I going to appear to other people? And so if you really identify with that as who you are, that's going to be, um, difficult to maintain because no one has a perfect image and everybody is much deeper than their image. And we all crave and want people to see us for who we really are. We all want to be with people, even if we're not perfect and we don't look perfect. We don't want to have to do all these things to look and be perfect, to get people to love us and to give us a hug and to enjoy being with us. So we're we're all craving that more authentic relationships. And I think people were scanning online, looking, looking for that, and they're seeing glimpses of it in other people, and that's creating more longing in them. Even
0: yeah, there was a lot of examples during the height of the pandemic of influencers who were not letting their guard down. Had this very perfect image. And when we talk in marketing, it's I always you've got to have a seamless. Whether it's your personal brand or a product brand, it's got to be seamless with what we with, with what is showing up online as what is happening in person. And there were there was more than one influencer who kind of got caught because they kept on projecting this very perfect image of who they were at a time when everyone was at home in their pajamas. Yes. So that, I think that really that really definitely definitely hit home for me when I was reading it. I was like, wow. Uh, not that I do that, but it really resonated a lot with what I see. So let me ask you. Um, I, I want to we could talk forever, and I have a few things I like to do at the end of these um, episodes, but this is really another way from what everything you're saying for us to see ourselves, but not in a narcissistic way. Yes. Yes. To really get a good I mean, look at ourselves without going down the path of narcissism.
1: Definitely. Definitely. And I do have a chapter on narcissism where I talk about um, the origins of how um, uh, narcissism and mirrors have have become associated that, that might be of interest to, to your listeners. Um, and also I think that, that again, that fascination with image versus going deeper is really key in our culture. Where you know, you always hear you know polemics about you know we're becoming more narcissistic as a culture. Yes, but change happens at an individual level, and so you know, I talk about having compassion for for narcissists because they're not being seen for who they really are, uh, and they're creating images and then kind of seeing other people as ways of reflecting them as as one-way reflection, just, just having other people praise them. That's all they want. They want to just get praised by other people. And that's a distortion of, again, image and it's distortion of mirroring because real mirroring happens when you see another person and you see their emotions and you become in synchrony with them and you can reflect them and you could be with them. Uh, for who they truly are, rather than that perfect image, and and that's what everybody wants, even narcissists. Underneath it all, that's what they want. I'm convinced of that.
0: So, <laughs> um, okay, so let's move into kind of wrap this thing up here. But um, I always like to ask people this question, and. It's starting to become in the rearview mirror. I hope the pandemic, but um, everyone yeah. seems to have gone through some changes. What's what's changed for you outside of the fact that you finished your book and now it's published? Yay, you! So this is great.
1: Yes, yes. Well, trying to sell a book about looking at yourself in the mirror at the height of the pandemic was not easy. And I'm very, very grateful to my wonderful uh, agent who was able to do it. He's fantastic. so the 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 bonus of of the pandemic was was finding a fabulous agent in the middle of this whole storm of sub of craziness. And then, um, I actually moved from Manhattan. I'd been living in Manhattan for 25 years and I moved to, um, a really wonderful, uh, place in Connecticut. That's right on a bird sanctuary. So I, I'm right on the water. I see all these wonderful birds and it's just amazing. And I wrote the whole book here. Um, and so, so that's changed for me. Um, and I think also my, um, I think, how I relate to people has changed in the sense that I realized that I can reach out to a lot more people just with technology. I love, I love being on zoom. I love teaching on zoom. I love being able to connect with, 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 with you, seeing you here and, and uh, you know, with people all over the world. And so I've really learned, um, that, I can manage my time in this in this way of of being in this beautiful place and still feeling all the energy and all the excitement of all my social connections and of course I'm back in New York to to, to teach at Barnard so I have the all the city and everything and um so so that's that's really what's happened I I've you know and. And also to sync people because I do I do um, I teach online and then I do con- consulting and and private meditation sessions online, and I just realized how much a Zoom call can be a lifeline for someone oh who my gosh, is yes. mm-hmm. is somewhere that they just can't get to the like where I would be at if I was if it was doing a live event or something, but but that extending that lifeline to people and then using the principles of what I know about mirroring to reflect them when we're on the call and and to just really do that with, with positive intention. Yeah, um,
0: I, I would imagine that actually in this situation, it actually helps the work that you do with mirroring because we're Right now, I could look at you. or I could look at myself. I have a choice. I'm looking at you mm-hmm. right now, though, because that's that's one of the reasons. Even though you can't see us, folks, um, I do get to see who I'm speaking to. It it helps it helps um, a great deal. And I think what you're saying is true for so many people during the pandemic. It's like wow, like, I mean, I still love being in person. I still prefer to teach in person, but this works too, and it definitely expands. Um, it expands your world. It just definitely, you know, I have a, a new client now that's on the other side of the country and we can do it all via Zoom without any expense, any extra expense to them, of course. But anyway, mm-hmm. let me, uh, I want to finish up about what I love to do and with a little quick lightning round of just some fun questions. Okay. Uh, I hope you're game. It's one of these days, as I always say, someone's going to say, no, I don't want to do that. No. <laughs>
1: your,
0: your favorite social network. My favorite social network, like on, online social network? Yes. Um, I, I think LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Okay, okay great. I think so. It's, it's a good one. Something people would never guess about you? Well, I'm adopted. That's one of the things that is uh, yes because it, because it, When you read the book, those of you out there, when you get the book, you will get a whole section on that in, in the book. Yeah, how all all related to identity, yeah, right. Yes, I thought it was really very, uh, very well done. Um, the last series that you binged? The last series that I binged, um, I would say Ozark. Okay. I, you know, I couldn't get very, into it, but people very love dark, it. But, but I, I couldn't stop looking at it. I'm sorry about that, but it's very dark. <laughs> a, a, a food you cannot live without. Oh, uh, let me see.
1: Um, quiche. I make a lot of Quiche.
0: Mm, I haven't had a quiche in a while. Now you got me thinking. What you, you miss? Um, <laughs> what you miss most about uh, pre-COVID life?
1: The ease of getting around New York City.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's getting better again. I think, but it yeah. took a while. What motivates you? To, and what motivates you to get up in the morning? My email. <laughs> 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 it's terrible one thing that I need to deal with the second I get up. So it's very bad. I should meditate first. I try to meditate first before I answer an email, but. Oh, yeah. oh my goodness. My goodness. Okay. So where can, where can people find you online? I will put all this stuff, all these links in the, um, in the show notes. And of course, uh, your book, I guess it's, I know it's on Amazon. I'm guessing it's other places as well, but just, yes. uh. The book
1: book is on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. It's also on the new Harbinger um, website, who's my publisher uh, for the uh, um, U.S. version of the book. And uh, it's even at on sale at Target. That's great. um, And you can find me at mirrormeditation.com. I also have a seven day challenge that you can sign up for with little mirror meditation prompts every day for seven days in your inbox. And, uh, um, you can also get on my, um, mailing list for my newsletter, which I have, um, different events and different offers and, um, some blogs and information every month or every other month, um, uh, with all kinds of goodies for, for
0: people that I love to share. Okay. Well, one, thank you so much for your time today, Tara. Thank you very much, Joanne. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to Marketing Mindfulness and Martinis. If you liked what you heard, please share with your friends. Give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify so other people can find us and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you've got a question you'd like answered or a topic you'd like me to cover, please drop me a note. Info at joannetombracus.com. And until next time, remember whatever got you to where you are isn't enough to keep you there.